And our gospel lesson today is John chapter 2, at verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Thus far the reading from God's holy word. I invite you to turn back in the scriptures to John chapter 2. And we will begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you put before us the ministry and teaching of Jesus. We thank you that we have his example of faithfulness. We have, Lord, um, understanding that comes from your Holy Spirit. And so uh, this is what we need today. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts. Uh, we pray that we would be able to hear the voice of Christ, uh, that we would be able to follow the Good Shepherd. And we thank you, Lord, that we have uh, one who is uh, the perfect Son of God. And we can follow him everywhere. We can follow him in all things. We ask for such faith today, and we pray that the sermon would be faithfully preached, that it would be the Word of God, in addition to being read, that it would be the Word of God preached through the foolishness of preaching, that people would come to know your saving grace. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In John chapter 2, we have the account of the cleansing of the, of the temple, and what is interesting about John's version of this is that John uh, places the cleansing of the temple at the start of the gospel, uh, whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the so-called synoptic gospels, have it at the end of the gospel. 
And so scholars look at this and they try to figure out, was there one cleansing or was there two cleansing of the temple? And having studied this, I have to tell you, it's not entirely for sure uh, what, to, what to think. But in terms of, of my understanding today, I'm going to go with that there were two cleansings of the temple and uh, John lists the one at the start. It seems to be a, a slightly different account of what is mentioned in the synoptics. And what we have here is uh, Jesus at a place where uh, God was symbolically dwelling uh, it was different than any other place in the world. If uh, you had uh, 10 Jewish families and you were in some other country and some other city, you could start a synagogue and, and, and worship in, in a manner much like we're doing today. But at the temple, it was the only place where you could bring an offering of an animal and have it offered up for your sin. And God designated this place uh, for, his, uh, for his temple and for the priests to receive the animals to offer sacrifice. It was a place where there was a holy of holies. And it was, it was God's house. And we see Jesus reacting to how people were treating that area where God symbolically dwelt, it was how he reacted to how people were treating God's house. And if you had been in the temple that day, I doubt you would have thought that Jesus was a nice guy because we see a display of anger. And Ephesians 4.26 tells us that when we're angry, we must not sin. And no doubt you've heard people speak about a righteous anger, that there is a, such a thing as a righteous anger. And I would certainly agree with that because this is what we see here with Jesus. But anger in the Bible is often regarded as a sin. The medieval church uh, listed seven deadly sins, pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. And later in verses 29 to 32, three verses down, where it says, in your anger, do not sin, it tells us to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. And so that's a sinful kind. But Jesus was angry. It was a righteous display of righteous anger by the Son of God for how God's house was being treated. John 20 tells us, at the end of this gospel, the reason John wrote this book, and it's so important for us to understand that. He explains that he chose seven miracles, and he could have written about all kinds of miracles, but he chose certain miracles. These are written, he said, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so today when we read this account, we're seeing, in fact, how that another example of how Jesus is the Son of God. Now we find our Lord here uh, going to the Jewish uh, temple at Passover. 
And Passover was the time when everybody tried to get to Jerusalem that could go uh, for this worship event. And it was in remembrance of how God brought his people out of Egypt. He brought them out from being a slave to a place of freedom. And the Passover remembered this lamb that was killed and eaten and the blood put on the doorposts and the a destroying angel passed over that house. And so here's Jesus at the Passover and it would have been a time when there would be great crowds of people and they're going there to experience God's presence, God's, God's glory. And so our Lord acted out of zeal for his father's house. And it was just as the scripture had prophesied. So we have the people then going to Jerusalem to celebrate God's deliverance. And Jesus sees in the outer courts of the temple the selling of animals and the coins being exchanged. Now this outer court of the temple is a large area. And if you go to Jerusalem today, you realize that the temple is not there. Uh, you, you, if you wanted to do this sort of thing, you couldn't do it. You couldn't bring your animal to be sacrificed. The temple was destroyed by the Romans back in 70 AD. Uh, the only building that's on that, that area is a, is a, is a mosque. And, and so uh, we have the Western Wall, which is a support wall for the Temple Mount, but um, that's where the Jewish people typically go today to, uh, to pray and have some special services. But at that time, the, the outer court of the temple was where people like us could go. And they had an inner court for Jewish people. So in this outer court, uh, the people are able to, to buy stuff. And Jesus looked at this and he said to the people that were selling these animals and birds, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Why was this activity going on? Well, you would need to bring a sacrifice. And so this would be a convenience. How would you like to bring your, your animal 60 miles or 80 miles from the place where you lived and get to Jerusalem? And then the people in charge might look at it and say, you know, that's not a very good sacrifice. Uh, but here, these animals were already certified. You know, they were, they were good to be uh, sacrificed. And it's a matter of convenience. So they have cattle and sheep and doves. You could just buy there. Of course, you know, when it's a convenience, uh, you pay a little more for that. And this is going on, uh, cattle, sheep, and doves being sold in the court of the Gentiles, where you and I could have gone to be part of this. And if you're Jewish, maybe that wouldn't be such a matter of importance for a lot of people. But this was the activity that was offensive to Christ. 
There was also a place to exchange money because the temple tax had to be paid in a Jewish coin, uh, the half shekel. It was probably uh, amount to about two days wages. So it was not a small matter, but it was your contribution to the temple. But you had to, if you had a foreign coin, which you probably did, uh, a Greek coin or a Roman, you would have to exchange that. If you've ever been out of the country and you have to get different currency, uh, you know how that goes. You get an exchange rate, and then there's a fee for processing. And it's, everything is done very carefully, of course. As you can imagine, these people are, have their ledgers and whatnot. And here's our, our Lord. What did he do? He makes a whip. He makes a whip out of cords in verse 16. And he dro drove all from the temple area, sheep and cattle, and he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He really messed things up. Imagine if you had owned those, that livestock and he drove the sheep and cattle out into this, this city that is bustling with people. You know, how are you gonna get them back? And he takes the, the, the tables of the money changers and just turns them over. And you know, everything carefully counted, and, and here it is thrown over, and he does this with a whip in his hand. It's, it's almost a miracle that he was able to do this. They would have had security, they would have had temple guards, uh, there was people that had the authority for that place, and he cleared the temple. Uh, so, it's an amazing thought that he was able to do this. He cleared the temple of these commercial activities. Take these things away. Uh, stop, stop making my father's house a house of merchandise would be uh, an even more literal way of, of translating the verse. Stop making my father's house a house of merchandise. We go to Mark's gospel, which would be at the, the end, after the triumphal entry, a day later, and we have Jesus saying, and he's quoting Isaiah 56, 6 to 7, as regards to what he believes is wrong here, and he refers to a verse in Isaiah which says, my house will be called the house of prayer for all nations. And so this is what God wanted. He wanted his house to be a house of a prayer. There was also a prophecy in the Psalms that spoke of this person who would be a stranger to his brothers, an alien to his own mother's son, sons, and then this verse, for zeal for your house consumes me and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. And then in the end of Malachi, or rather chapter 3, we have the promise of the Lord suddenly coming to his temple to refine it. And so we have these prophecies that speak of just what Christ is doing here. He is having this display of zeal. He's reclaiming what, what the temple is supposed to do. He suddenly comes to his temple and there's this cleansing that takes place.
The way John sets it up, it seems to be at the start of his ministry and the synoptics also at the end of his ministry. What do we learn from this? We learn that God's house prioritizes worship and not generating income. And people will fall into this from time to time. Uh, back in Reformation Day, it was the reason for the indulgences. They needed to uh, build a St. Peter's, at least they thought they did, in Rome. And so uh, this great church was built with funds where people would uh, be promised indulgences. We'll get grandma out of purgatory if you pay some money was how it kind of came across to people. And uh, Luther, when he went to Rome, uh, came back very discouraged. He expected to see this wonderful place that would, uh, you know, encourage his faith. And in actual uh, fact, it just, it, it, uh, it was a realization to him about the, the sin in that society. Well, it's not only back in times of the Reformation, we go to the modern day, and we can see on our television preachers who, if you send them money, you know, you can be on this list, or they'll pray for you, or, or some such thing, and times of generating income, and getting away from what the church is really to be about, what the gospel is to be really about. And it's sad, and I've always taken this passage to heart. Here, I, I, I know that if you could look back on, on my time with you, I've never made a, a big emphasis out of money. Uh, we need to give in proportion to how God has blessed us. We need to honor him with our gifts. Uh, but other than that, it's uh, not been something that I put as a, as a priority. It's not a priority, it's our response to what God has done for us. And um, I remember when we went into the COVID experience, uh, people, some people called me and said, well, how, how are we gonna get money to the church? And I was like, it'll come. You know, God's people are gonna be faithful, uh, but it's, it's not the priority. Our, our priority is to preach Christ and call people to worship. And when Jesus did this, according, you know, be sure he was criticized right away. And they, they wanted to know, by what authority can you do these things? Now, you might look at what he said, and you might think that he was sort of dodging the question here. But actually, he gives them the exact answer that they need to show his authority. They wanted, they wanted a miracle, or in other words, they wanted a sign, a miraculous sign. They, to show that he was God's son, that this was his father's house. And Jesus said that he would prove his authority with his resurrection being a sign in verse 19. Now, we often want our signs to go ahead of us. That's usually how it is. But in Scripture, a lot of times the signs come later. Okay, when we're going down the road and we, we're coming to the curves, we want the sign to be ahead of us. But in the Bible, at times, the sign is behind us, where the sign would come later after his, his crucifixion. He answered them, 
destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. So he's going to refer to his resurrection as a sign of his authority. His body is what he's talking about here. The, the Jews take it a different way. 46 years it took us to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days, but Jesus was talking about his body. And this came up at his trial also. So his, his body would be destroyed, raised up in three days. His skeptics at this time were either confused or they wanted to be confused. They were thinking of the physical temple. And if you'd ever see all the stones underneath it, you would completely understand why it would take 46 years. But they were thinking of this physical temple, and Jesus was referring to his body as a temple. So when Jesus is teaching people, he does really the same thing as Paul. Paul does the same thing as Christ, would be a better way of saying it. That the message of the gospel is Christ crucified. And so he doesn't leave these people in their sins, but he says, by my death and resurrection, I'm going to show you by what authority I do this. Now, his disciples didn't get it at the time. Now, they're rather baffled by this. In verse 22, we read, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. And then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. They didn't get it at the time. And what this is saying to us is, uh, since they didn't understand his message until after his resurrection, that, that's the same for us. Until we understand the death and resurrection of Christ, the Bible is going to be a closed book to us in terms of our understanding of its real message. But when they understood his death and resurrection, then they believed the scriptures. And then they believed his teachings. And so that, that's where it is for us. The people, in verse 23, had seen signs. They had seen miracles. They're mentioned here. Many people saw the miraculous signs while he's in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. These were going on. And they believed in him. So seeing the miracles or the signs, they, yeah, it caused many to believe in Jesus. But, but as what? Well, they no doubt saw him as a prophet or political messiah. But they did not have a saving faith. Much like people that say, today would say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But they don't take his teaching to heart. Uh, they, you know, they're, they're really not committed. And Jesus saw that these people did not have a saving faith. They had a superficial faith. Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He, he understood where they were at. And we look at this passage, and so, so what lesson do we need to take home for ourselves? Well, as Christians, as disciples, we're called to follow in the footsteps of Christ. We're, we're to be like him. And how can we be like him in this way? Well, we're to be, our Christian life is to be one of zeal. Uh, Romans 12 uh, talks about this, that, that we, are, we, are, we are to be zealous for the Lord. 
uh, zealous to serve God. So what would that, how would you describe being a person of zeal? Well, you know, when you think about your Christianity, you would be passionate, you would be enthusiastic, you would be eager, and it would just be the opposite, like of ho-hum, you know, just another Sunday, doing this again, back in church. But if you're zealous to serve God, you, you come uh, with thankfulness, like Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. Know the Lord's God is you made us. We are his, we are people, sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Some of us can come with thanksgiving today. We come with gratitude. So it's the idea of having gratitude in your heart. Is that there today? Are you thankful? And then if you're zealous, you come with prayers. You come with prayers for God's power. And today, you know, when we respond back to God in songs, those songs are prayers. Uh, The prayers we offer, we need that. If we're going to serve God, we're going to have to reach out and, and ask him. And we need to be zealous with the knowledge of the gospel. In Proverbs 19, it tells us it's not good to run around without, to have zeal without knowledge of what God wants. And this was Paul's problem as he was a Pharisee. He, he, was, he had zeal to persecute the church. And Romans 10 is Paul's people, the, the Jewish people, they had a zeal, but it was not based on on the gospel that God set forth. And so this is what we're to know. We're to know the, we're to know the gospel. That's got to be the driving force. And when Jesus writes to the churches in Revelation 3, one of the famous letters, of course, to the church in Laodicea, and he tells them that they are lukewarm in their faith. And this is a picture of not being zealous, but we're to be like Christ. And, and, and he says, I, because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And he tells that church in Revelation 3 at verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. The NIV has, so be earnest and repent. Uh, a more literal translation has the, the thought here uh, to uh, be zealous uh, and, and repent. And, and so zeal for what? For the worship of God, uh, personally, that we would do this individually, but we would also do it corporately, which is the idea that we're gathered as, as a people of God. You know, that this would be important. That'd be, we'd be zealous for it and zealous for the kingdom of God. Because what is that about? It's about the rule of God the rule of Christ in our hearts, that he would, he's come to be our king, and yet there's more to come. Uh, there's the fullness of his kingdom. And so we're, we're zealous for that. If we're living faithful, if we're following in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, Jesus came to be our Passover lamb, to take away our sins. And so we start there with God's grace, we believe the scriptures and our Savior's teaching. And we, we can't be skeptical and say, oh, 
You know, I, I, I don't know how you can be sure. You're like, we need a miracle or something. No, we need to believe the word. And as believers, uh, we show our zeal and our commitment to the worship of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we see so many other things crowding out uh, worship, uh, thankfulness to you that's expressed by your people. We know it's so important. It's something you call us to do. It, it enriches our life. It, it uh, is a way we're to live. And uh, we pray that uh, we would be strengthened today. Uh, we ask, Lord, that we'd be more faithful today. We ask that we would be uh, zealous uh, for your glory, for your church, for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.